Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn along with me. I'm going to look at two different scriptures today. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31, and then also Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And so the first one here, Mark 12, 28 to 31, it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked him, of all of the commandments, which one is the greatest? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And then over to Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Jesus is giving a teaching, a parable, uh, where he's explaining things to people. And he says this. When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne in the heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we uh, see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed to the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't come look after me. And they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or stranger and needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and, and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. In Jesus' day, uh, the people of God, they knew their Bibles, the Old Testament, the Torah. And they all knew what the greatest commandment was. They didn't need Jesus to tell them. Even children knew. Everyone did. Because if you were a Jew, you recited the greatest commandment every morning as you woke up and every night as you had your evening meal. It was called the Shema. It is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. The Shema was made into a prayer, and the people said it when they woke up in the morning and at night. 
It was here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. They said it twice every day. And they even wrote it down on little pieces of paper and then rolled up those pieces of paper and put them in small boxes called mezuzahs. And you still see them on the front door of Jewish homes. And inside that little box is a little piece of paper with the Shema on it. And as the people would leave their house or enter, they were always reminded of what the greatest thing is. To love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so in our scripture, when the teacher of the law asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus does what they would expect. He quotes directly from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. The Shema that, that everyone there in the crowd could have said with him. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. This wasn't a new teaching. This is a very old one. However, it is what Jesus does next that is so groundbreaking. When asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus answered correctly with the Shema. But Jesus doesn't end there. Instead, Jesus goes on. And he says, and the second is this. They didn't ask Jesus what the second greatest commandment was, but Jesus tells them anywhere, anyway. And Jesus quotes another verse, one that's hidden away in Leviticus 19.18, among hundreds of other commands, is written the words, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus takes that hidden command that they didn't think too much about, and he moves it to the head of the line. He links it now with the greatest command to love God. They were also to love their neighbors. This was the revolutionary act. This was the new teaching. Jesus was forever connecting loving God with loving other people. In fact, in John 15, when Jesus is teaching about the vine and the branches and how we are to abide in him and bear fruit in our life, he says in John 15, 9, as the fathers loved me, I love you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, and my command is is this, to love each other as I have loved you. And then again in verse 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, this is how everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love each other. 
Now, people back then, the highly religious and the everyday person, they, they were used to loving God. They were used to trying to figure that out by obeying His commands and fulfilling his, the obligations they had of cleansings and sacrifices and festivals and all those details. They thought about loving God every day and, and recited that in the Shema twice every day and even put it on their doorposts. And Jesus still believed all of that. It began with loving God. But Jesus elevated loving our neighbor as the highest expression of loving God. To love and obey him was to love the other person. As Jesus became more known for this teaching, people began to ask, well, who is my neighbor? Who am I required to love out of all of these people? And Jesus would elaborate. He would tell them, don't just love your friends. Even pagans do that. But love your enemies as well. And pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who curse you. But beyond this, Jesus talked about loving those who were in need. Basic needs or struggles. And, and we, as followers of Jesus, would help strangers. And we would help the poor and the, and the outcast. Perhaps the most famous answer Jesus gave to someone who asked, Who is my neighbor? is the parable of the Good Samaritan where a man was beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road, and a priest and a Levite happened to be going down that very same road, and they saw the man. But instead of going to that man, they walk past him on the other side, ignore his need. But a Samaritan, when he happened down that road and he saw that man, he immediately goes to him. He stops whatever he's doing, wherever he is going, and he put the need of the stranger ahead of his own. He went to that man. He bandaged his wounds. He treated him with oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn to look after him. Jesus said, this is the man who has loved his neighbor. Go and do likewise. In other words, the neighbor is anybody that you might meet on your journey, not just those who are good to you or those who look like you or can repay you, but anyone in need. We're called to love. Jesus often spoke about loving those who can't repay you. Jesus often called his disciples to serve and lay down their life and take care of orphans and widows in their distress and foreigners and the poor. One of the most convicting verses for me has always been 1 John 3, 16 and 17, where it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but does nothing to help them, how can the love of God be in that person? There is this connection throughout the whole New Testament between loving God and loving others in need. 
that if God so loved us in these radical ways upon the cross, then we ought to love each other, especially the most vulnerable, with even just their basic needs. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Loving others becomes the highest expression of our devotion to Jesus. This is the radical thing. We're to believe in Jesus for our salvation. We're to surrender our life to his purposes. And part of those purposes that he cares about is helping people in need. And what we find in Matthew 25 is this very same thing. It's a parable that Jesus gives right before he goes to the cross. It's one of his final teachings, and it's about how the true followers of Jesus are those who feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, invite the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit those in prison. Jesus even says, what you do for them, you do for me. Jesus is always connecting loving God with loving others. At times we may wrestle with what does God really want from me in my life? Well, he tells us right here. It's to believe in him, obey his word, and to love each other. And We don't need to make it complicated. You know what I think I love the most about Matthew 25 is, is that it's so simple. It's not too hard. I really mean that. You don't have to be smart to do what it says here. You don't have to be talented to feed the hungry. You don't have to go to school for eight years to be able to offer clothes to someone who is naked. You don't have to be rich or old to visit the prisoner or to care for a person who is sick. Even a child can do what Jesus is asking of all of us in Matthew 25. I will never forget my sister when she was just in the fifth grade. We went on this big trip to England, my parents and us, and, and we had saved up our allowance for a long time to buy some fun things over there on our vacation. And, and we were walking down the street and going in and out of shops and castles, and, and mom and dad and me suddenly realized my sister is not with us. And we turn around and race back to find her, and she's just 20 feet back or so. She had stopped and she had taken out what money she had saved out of her pink little purse and she gave it to a man sitting on the side of the road. Mom tried to tell her she didn't have to, but my sister wanted to. There was no stopping her. Something inside of her, some kind of love was there that compelled a fifth grader to feel something for a stranger. I remember this mission trip I went on in seminary, another example here. It was into El Chaco, Ecuador. And as we were working one day out in the heat of the jungle on this building, wheelbarrows with handmade cement and, and dirt and rocks, and I look and I see two women and one man walking up this jungle hill on this dirt road far away there towards us. And and they were carrying these heavy buckets up this road. 
and, and they are from the village that we had come to serve. They were coming up this road, we found out, to bring us food and to give us this juice that they had made. And we knew that they had so little, they were probably giving us over a week's worth of what they had. And we were there to serve them. But they also wanted to serve us. And they knew we were hungry and thirsty, and we were. And so they brought us, very sacrificially, what they had. Anyone can love the way Jesus tells us to. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be smart or talented or go to school to figure out how. You just have to have the love of Jesus in your heart. And he'll show you what he wants you to do. He will move you to care and to give and to serve. And when you love God with all of your heart and you love your neighbors, your life will know the blessing of the Lord and the joy that it is of serving. The kingdom will come alive in you. Jesus said, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I did a fast this past week, and we were supposed to do it as part of our Matthew 25 challenge. It was on Monday, and we were to skip a meal. And, and I actually skipped two because I forgot. And, and after it, I was a little hungry. And, but I have to be honest, I wasn't that hungry. I don't really know what it is to be that hungry. I've had a kitchen of food my whole life. And so even during the fast, when my stomach would grumble just a little, I knew when the day was over, I was going to get to eat. I wasn't worried like many people are in our world. I found myself thinking and praying during that time about those who don't know when their next meal will come. They don't have food security, and they go to bed hungry, unsure if they will even eat the next day. Jorge Zuniga from our church uh, shared with me and others uh, a couple different times about how when he was a child growing up in Chile, there were days and weeks where they didn't eat. Times when he could go to bed hungry. Sometimes they wouldn't eat for a couple days. And, and he was the oldest son, and he, he had two younger brothers. And his mom worked hard but didn't make a lot. And, and he said going to bed hungry was very difficult. But he said what was worse was watching his little brothers go to bed hungry and cry. And he had nothing to give them. It's a reality of people in our world. My dad worked his whole life with Compassion International, an organization much like World Vision, and, and they helped children in poverty all around the world, and dad would travel lots when I was a kid, and he would go to places like Ecuador and Brazil and Haiti and the Philippines and Rwanda, and he would come home with stories and pictures of kids and families that Compassion was hoping to help. And I remember hearing the stories about this whole other world out there, very different from mine, just across the ocean. And this was before internet, and so it seemed so far away, so unreal. And he would tell the story, I remember, of a boy in the dump who was my age. 
who he had met, this boy about 12 years old, and he would wake up while it was still dark and he would go to the dump with hundreds of others trying to find trash that he could sell and then taking it in and maybe getting a dollar, trying to find it and, and, and then going to school and then back to the dump afterwards and how he lived with so little. And I got to go with my dad uh, once on a trip, and my eyes were open to the realities that are out there. There are people who are hungry right now, and we know about it. Back in the 1980s and 90s, the statistic was that every three to five seconds, someone would die of malnutrition in our world treatable disease or lack of food and clean water, which worked out to something like 20,000 people a day dying of malnutrition, almost 10 times those who died on 9-11 every single day of things that we can treat or help. Thankfully, over the last 30 years, World Vision, Compassion, and other organizations that are in these neediest of places are changing that statistic and digging wells and providing relief and helping with agriculture and education, and that number has been cut in half. But there are still people dying of hunger and disease that could be treated, and we can do something. It's not too hard for us. We can really feed the hungry if we want to or give to the thirsty. Feeding people has been part of the church since it began, and Jesus made it personal. He said, I was the hungry one, and you gave something to eat to. I was the thirsty one that you gave something to drink. Water is a gift of life that we take for granted. It is an essential to life. The things that Jesus mentions here in his Matthew 25 are our basic needs, food and water, just making sure everybody's got those. I was sick a couple weeks ago. I wasn't able to keep anything down, and my mouth was so dry. My tongue was sticking to the top of my mouth, and the thought just popped into my head how wonderful it is to be able to drink water how I need that every day. I never really stop to think about that. I just turn on the tap and I get a drink when I'm thirsty, but many people don't have that luxury. Matthew 25, you see, is just talking about the basic needs that everybody has and us loving people enough to make sure that every child has clean water. 600 million people don't have access to clean water. We did the 5K walk for water a few years ago, and it was a reminder to us of the average distance that women in the Congo walk daily to get water, three miles every day. We just go into the next room. We take showers. We fill our water bottles. We cook with it. We don't think about it. They do. I complained, I'm sad to say, not long ago that we didn't have anything at our house to drink but water. What a jerk am I. Water is the gift, and one that people who love God and love others want to make sure that everybody has. Jesus also said, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. The word for stranger here is also foreigner. It is talking about people we let in, we're hospitable to, people who don't have a home or a group. You know, Abraham he said at one time in his life, I'm a stranger in a strange land. 
He was once the foreigner who was looking for a home. The Israelites in Egypt before slavery were taken in by this country as refugees. Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus were looking for a place in Bethlehem as well as in Egypt. Will anybody open the door for the person in need? I see the refugee families that we are helping here in Lincoln. Great example of this. How it can be a mutual blessing to each and the joy it is to get to know the Bobon family. It's like a young man that we helped uh, six months or so ago who showed up at our church. And he, he, we took him in for a while until his situation improved. It's also just something that anybody can do, like being a friend to somebody who needs one, who doesn't have one, and including them in. This could be loving the stranger. Someone once did this for me. Growing up, you see, I didn't always fit in. I was kind of shy and often awkward. But I have to tell you this thing that stuck with me for almost 30 years. I was in college and, and often alone. This one evening, I found myself at a party, and I don't even know why I went. Probably just lonely, didn't help anywhere else to go. But I didn't have friends there. The situations like that, I was usually just off to the corner somewhere, just standing by myself against the wall, um, kind of unseen. And, but, but this one night, Someone did notice me. A guy, and, and I've never forgotten, by the name of Darren Jagosinski. He was a cool senior. I was this awkward freshman. But for some reason, and I got no idea why, he saw me, and he decided to walk across the room and say hello to me. And he just started talking. And then he took me, and he sat me down with him and his friends, and he introduced me to his friends. And they began to include me. I wasn't standing alone anymore. And it felt really good to have someone invite you in. When his friends later that night said, let's go get a burger, he looked right at me and he said, come on. He was driving. I was the only freshman. At one point, I think I saw his friends look at him and said, what are you doing inviting this guy? But he never paid it any attention. As far as he was concerned, I was one of them. And we went out for burgers and they talked to me and they accepted me. And from then on, as I would walk off to class, usually with my head down, I would pass them, and they would all say hi to me, and they would call me out by name. And again, if you've never been so alone, you might not realize just how great it is to be seen and to be known. I was the stranger they invited in. And again, that's why I say that anyone can do this. We all have the power to do it, to love like this, whether the person at school or the refugee family or the foster kid that we invited to our family. Whomever, Jesus said, I was a stranger, you invited me in. He said, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Again, all of these things are things that we can do. It wasn't that long ago we started Community Closet right here at the church, and I remember exactly how it began. A women's Bible study group was talking about a couple kids in their child's class that didn't have much and needed a coat and some clothes. They knew the mom and knew it would be okay and helpful, and so they all chipped in and they got clothes for these kids. And that went so well, they talked about others who were in need and, and how there were hundreds who maybe could use a little hand. And now we give out practically a thousand pieces of clothes every year to people in our neighborhood. There are those that we love and care for who are sick. 
people who bring meals to other people. They offer prayers. They send notes. They stop by to visit. It's, it's nurses and doctors that go the extra mile. It's the counselors and the people who listen to the oppressed or the anxious. Jesus, you see here, in all of these examples, he's not talking about something that's too hard. It's just whether we'll do it. It's the church that commits to prison ministry, seeing people not just with their mistakes, but as people with maybe a whole new beginning. If someone will just give them some attention, some education, some love, some support. I love what we do with RIP, reintegration program. I wish more people would hang out there. It's a great ministry. Everybody needs another chance, someone to believe in them. These things that Jesus mentions, you see, they're not too hard. You don't got to be rich or smart or talented with a degree. Anyone can do this. They just got to show up. They just got to look around, notice all that God has given them, and then in gratitude and love, give it and serve somebody. Today, we mention in our church, we mention sponsorship with World Vision as one option that you have where a family can literally change the life of a child forever. You could sign up and give a monthly donation, and, and that child could eat. They could go to school. They could feel someone is thinking about them across the sea and praying for them by name, and that could all be really great. But even if you don't do that, you could do other things. I mean, what ministry will you have? How will you live out what Jesus said is the greatest command and the second greatest command? How will you love your neighbors? feed the hungry and clothe the naked and care for the sick and the stranger. What can you do? What ministry will you have? What ministry will you have as a couple maybe in your marriage or as a family? How are your kids going to grow up and learn this is just what Christians do? They believe in Jesus. They go to church and they have a ministry. What is yours? Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you really do it to me. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, it's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus put them together forever. To love others is to love him. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.